Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He in 2012, the late Paul Callaghan, one of New Zealand's most distinguished scientists, gave his last public address. In it, he left us an idea, a proposition so colossal, so inspirational, that he called it New Zealand's moonshot. And I'm not suggesting we want to put somebody on Mars, but I've got an idea for New Zealand's Apollo program. And it's insane. We'd have to embrace it as a nation. It would be truly an extraordinary thing to do. Paul would be delighted to know that Aotearoa picked up his crazy idea and ran with it. We've resolved to get rid of rats, stoats and possums once and for all. And we called his idea Predator-Free 2050. Kia ora koutou katoa. I'm Dave Hansford and I'm a New Zealand science and environment writer. I've been covering conservation for 20 years, and Predator Free is far and away the biggest and best news I'll ever get to report. It's even better for our beleaguered wildlife, but in this episode, the fourth and final in this Fight for the Wild podcast series, I'll be asking, what's in it for us? These podcasts complement the film series Fight for the Wild, which you can view on RNZ Freeview On Demand, or you can find both series on the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. Predator Free 2050 became official in June 2016, launched by then Prime Minister John Key. Within days of his announcement, opinion pieces appeared in the media spurning the idea as undoable and unaffordable. New researchers rubbish the Predator-Free 2050 project as technologically impossible. When it was introduced by the national government two years ago, it was described as an ambitious goal. But the research released today said the project was badly designed and unachievable. Detractors said it would cost $32 billion, or nearly a billion dollars a year, half again what we spend on defence. The argument seemed stronger for the fact that Key's national government had, in fact, committed a pittance to predator-free, just $28 million. But that June day, Key also announced the establishment of Predator-Free 2050 Limited. It provides co-funding for big eradication projects and the science we'll need to make them happen. Kia ora koutou, I'm Abby Reynolds. I'm the new CEO of Predator Free 2050 Limited. Predator Free 2050 Limited is a Crown-owned, for-purpose business. It's our job to bring together community groups, councils, iwi, you know, regional organisations that want to work together at a landscape scale to eradicate predators. The other thing we do is invest in breakthrough science that supports the mission. 
Part of the way we work is to attract matched funding. So to date, the way we've worked is for every dollar that we put into a project, we're attracting $2 from somewhere else. So we can act as this catalyst in a way of pulling in and attracting other funding. The other $2 comes from a variety of sources. So some of it might be from the regional council, some of it might be from iwi, it could come from a community trust. So for each project is different. In that time, we've turned $25 million of seed funding into over $300 million of money being targeted into this mission. Meanwhile, researchers at the University of Auckland took a long, hard look at that claimed $32 billion price tag and found it was, well, a bit of an overestimate. Instead, they came up with a bill for Predator Free of $9 billion. If we were talking about money for roads, nobody would bat an eyelid. Wellington's 27-kilometre transmission gully motorway alone will cost more than $1.2 billion. In other words, each kilometre of tar seal would pay for two years of predator-free. The government will invest a record $54 billion in its imbalanced transport policy over the next decade. But the strongest economic case for doing predator-free, perhaps, is the mounting cost of not doing it. Every four or five years, on average, our forests set seed in truly staggering quantities in a climate-related phenomenon called a mast season. And when that happens, numbers of mice, rats and stoats go through the roof. Then, once they've eaten all that extra seed, they turn on our wildlife. Mast seasons are a calamity, and every one means a desperate scramble to blunt the worst of their harm. And that gets expensive. In just six years, masts have cost us $80 million in extra pest control. And climate change will only bring more. Masts aside, New Zealand agencies normally spend about $100 million per annum controlling invasive predators, which do more than $450 million of damage to primary industry every year. Over the course of predator-free, that's a bill to taxpayers of more than $16 billion. Suddenly, $9 billion for predator-free is starting to look like a bargain, says one of our favourite business journalists. Call that 10 as a nice round number. That's only $200 million a year. That's only $4 million a week. Currently, the economy is a $300 billion a year activity. And that's only measuring the value added through the economy. So in other words, that $4 million a week is minuscule um, against, in comparison with um, the size of the economy. Kia ora tato. Um, I'm Rod Oram and I'm a business journalist. Now I define business very widely, um, so it, to me it, it embraces pretty much all of life. Um, my central preoccupation as a business journalist is how 10 billion people will live well on this planet by 2050. If we don't commit boots and all and all the resource we need to do this, we will just keep throwing money away at trying to suppress species. Um, and first of all, that is 
simply a waste of money um, and because that's a never-ending battle and uh, then you never get much in the way of benefit out of it. But crucially, I think uh, we wouldn't actually get um, the behaviour change. We wouldn't get the shift in our understanding about our role in ecosystems, our interdependent relationship in ecosystems, um, if we just kept trying to muddle through that way. So to me, it's very binary. We either do this right and well uh, and get the very big benefit of that physically, culturally, socially, spiritually and all the rest. Or we just sink into this morass of continued ecosystem degradation and a never-ending battle um, against the predators. But on the benefit side, it's huge. We are more dependent on our natural capital, our natural resources, than any other country. And it's not just simply that uh, we farm or we fish or we log trees. Um, uh, the health of our natural environment um, fundamentally defines us as a people and us as a country. Um, it's a source of um, jobs, whether it be in tourism or in other fields. And so that ecosystem health and uh, the restoring that natural capital of New Zealand um, is absolutely the bedrock of our sustainable and prosperous future. These are all economic pluses. I'm going to add one more. Um, this is a fabulous field for um, innovation in science and technology. The declaration of Predator Free galvanised the tech sector. In 2019, PF2050 Limited invited expressions of interest in a funding round for new technology. It got 62 applications, so that only five years in, there are already new autonomous traps and lures and detection devices in testing. All of them will slash the need for manual labour and therefore the cost of going predator-free. Meanwhile, the Department of Conservation's Tools to Market program injects $1.4 million every year into projects such as long-life lures, a toxin that specifically targets stoats, and biodegradable rat traps that can be dropped from the air. The world is watching all this closely because we're not the only ones battling biodiversity loss. Globally, well over half of all extinct vertebrates have disappeared from islands like ours. Hawaii, Mauritius, Madagascar, Cuba. Already, Wellington company Goodnature, which makes self-resetting traps, generates fully half its revenue from exports to 20 countries. The Rod's not predicting an export boom just yet. There is um, some export potential in this, but I'm always a little cautious about that because as other countries also turn to ecosystem restoration of their own kinds, they'll be developing lots of science themselves. So it, it will be a, a competitive market. Now, I think we will have um, some very good science to sell and to develop further with others. And um, so I'm excited about that, but I don't expect it to be some kind of um, economic nirvana um, that sort of defines the New Zealand economy. But then if we are good in this area of science, we will find uh, all sorts of synergies flowing into other areas. So if we get good at artificial intelligence in this area, um, then we'll find ourselves applying that knowledge in a completely different area. So I think there's some interesting synergy there. So that synergy and diversity of where the innovation might take us um, is very much at the front of my mind.
Already, Aotearoa has won some international kudos just for having a crack at this. In 2010, the world's nations gave themselves a 10-point to-do list, the IKEA Agreement, in a bid to reverse the global disappearance of wildlife. Last year, the IKEA deadline passed without a single objective fulfilled. Set against that backdrop of failure, Aotearoa's ambition only enhances the global standing we've since won through our efforts against COVID-19. I have quite clear memories of that, that July 2016 it was when um, Sir John Key, as he is now, announced the New Zealand's ambition towards predator-free 2050, and it got global attention. That's environmental researcher Andrea Byram, and until recently, she led the government's Biological Heritage National Science Challenge. There was global attention and acclaim, um, mainly because, again, we were the inspiration. We were the ones that put it out there, having such a big aspirational national goal. Even though New Zealand is quite small a country in terms of land mass, but everyone knows how hard it is to get rid of invasive species, and so, People went, well, that's great. Critics of Predator Free view it as a cost, sapping Treasury coffers. But the numbers to date point instead to a stimulus package, generating investment in R&D and jobs. Five Predator Free projects are expected to provide $50 million in salaries, wages and contracts. And they'll need to buy $8 million worth of new traps and other devices. Here's Abby Reynolds. We've had Jobs for Nature funding allocated to us, and so what's going to happen is that in the first year of using that funding to work with our communities, as we anticipate, we'll be creating at least 150 jobs, and then in the second it will be up to 300. So for us, there's this great opportunity to marry, you know, the post-COVID recovery and the need for us to find great work for people with our mission. Jobs for Nature is a government programme that's already placed 800 people in work and aims to employ 5,000 more. Pest control research company Zero Invasive Predators, ZIP for short, was launched in 2015 with a staff of three. Six years later, it has 30 full-time permanent staff. In March, ZIP announced the launch of Predator-Free South Westland, a 100,000 hectare ecological restoration project based in the town of Franz Josef, a tourist resort economically crippled by the COVID-19 pandemic. Zips hired an entire motel to accommodate 20 people it's employed to get South Westland started, and a further 30 as it rolls out. Forest and Bird Chief Executive Kevin Haig says Predator Free offers the chance to build a more compassionate economy. We use the environment and people as inputs into our economy, as if economic growth or economic outcomes were actually the goals we were actually striving for. It should be the other way around. You know, we, we need to have a clear sense of our environmental goals and our social goals, and we should turn the dials on the economy to help us achieve those goals. Predator Free 2050 gives us a good opportunity to actually start putting that into place. Brent Bevan has the job of holding up Doc's end of the predator-free deal. And that goes well beyond just killing pests. 
it will result in more employment and more economic spend in a site. And so all the sites we're trialling this on now, that's what's rolling out. More people getting employed and to do this, this stuff, the building of skills, the building of IP, the understanding. Then once you've achieved the eradication, there's almost a shift as you get into a, a sort of maintenance phase of um, how do we protect the space, but also that's when the growing tourism industry and opportunities like that start to roll out and create more employment. When I was involved on Stewart Island and we were looking at um, the potential for eradication, we, we had an economic analysis done. It suggested up to 90 new jobs on Stewart Island as a result, which is quite big when you're in a population of 400 people. And the kicker at that time, that translated into enough new children into the school to keep the school open. And if you're in small communities, places like schools become the nucleus or the focus that holds the community together, so they become really important. First and foremost, though, predator-free is about getting our Indigenous biodiversity back. And just the fact that we've agreed to try, says Devin McLean, is already making a difference to people's lives. I would love to see this um, as a place where biodiversity is certainly in, heading in the right direction, no longer in decline. We're no longer continuously talking about threatened species and potential of extinction and so on. That, that would be superb. But more than that, just the connection of people generally to nature would be powerful. Devon is the Environmental Director of the Philanthropic Next Foundation, which has put up millions of dollars for social and environmental projects in New Zealand including predator-free, and it means to put up millions more yet. One of the things we found in Wellington was that when you talk to people about why are you wanting to get behind something like predator-free Wellington, for some of them it was because we've had a kaka or a saddleback nesting in our backyard, but they were excited about that, they wanted to protect it. For some of them it was just about, I hate rats, I don't want to get rid of rats. But for a significant proportion of that community it was, this is the first time this community's ever done something together. And I think that's one of the things that is really powerful about this. And um, councils, Wellington City and Wellington Regional Council, both recognised that having communities who knew each other, had their, each other's phone numbers, talked to each other, had a barbecue down the street to celebrate their results, was going to be a community much more resilient in the face of an earthquake or some other um, civic disaster. That reconnection extends across counties and across cultures says New Zealand's new conservation minister. Kia ora, my name is Kitty Allen and I'm the Minister of Conservation. Uh, I hail from the mighty East Coast and in particular peoples of uh, Mātātua, uh, Tainui, uh, Takitemu, uh, Tuwharetoa, Tauranga Moana. For us uh, in the East Coast and throughout the Central North Island, our people have been intimately connected and have been for eons uh, to our taiao. Papa Tuanuku is our source of sustenance. We have a saying through one of my iwi, I am the river and the river is me. People are very much know that our well-being is interdependent on the well-being of our environment. By having people working on the whenua, that in turn uh, uh, provides those opportunities to reconnect, relive, rebreathe those uh, responsibilities and rights and opportunities have been a true kaitiaki to the whenua. We love Aotearoa New Zealand. We're pretty proud uh, to be from here. And I think that that will further enhance, I guess, a sense of our 
a huge part of our cultural identity. Uh, this is our place, we've protected it, and this is what we're handing on to future generations. Rod Oram agrees. We've got these coalescing crises of humanity about our treatment of ecosystems, about health, about economics, about socially and culturally. And, and that's why I'm convinced um, that the sort of ways that people are working together in the predator-free movement is actually showing us and teaching us a whole bunch of stuff that we'll be able to apply as we work together on these other great challenges of our times. That's Zelandia, Wellington's celebrated fenced wildlife sanctuary. Chief Executive Paul Atkins says predator-free could teach us something about ourselves as individuals and as a nation. You know, I think the wave that has been generated is a wave of optimism that all is not lost and that we can do things that we thought maybe were too hard. And, and, and probably the biggest motivator and transformational change is that we actually value that. This is good for us. We like it. And therefore we're motivated to do it. Now that is, that is a big shift. Clearly, we're an example of what happens if you take predators entirely out of a system. So we have kaka, the, the forest parrots, around the whole of Wellington, the whole region. So what we've been able to demonstrate is that we can actually have our native biodiversity back again. And we can have it back in our backyards, not just in a fence sanctuary. And I think that's fundamentally changed the way people are beginning to think about what we value here in the place we live, our home. And what's important about places like this is that they enable that social transformation on the back of an ecological transformation. I think people are utterly enthusiastic and blown away at having the opportunity to have something back that we thought we'd lost. We are putting value back, and I think that's something really special. I think we will mature as a nation if we have stepped up and worked together and cooperatively and taken a respectful approach to getting to the goal. I think it will have huge benefits long term for our sense of identity and our sense of uh, what we are that is uniquely Aotearoa. We are world leaders in this space. No one else is doing this. It's such a public good piece of work. I would love just to share it. I would love to see this sort of thing rolled out more widely around the world to just reverse that biodiversity decline in a more general sense. What future do we want for our children is where I really come down to. I've got two sons of my own, and when they grow up, I want them to be able to see Kiwi especially around their backyard. I want them to see falcon hunting kiruru. I, I want them to see all the things I had when I grew up and feel that sense of connection with it. So, so it sort of does, does become a very deeply personal journey to, to embark on this work. I'm starting to see the signs of the things that make me hopeful that we can do this if we come together and we focus. And I think COVID has given us this opportunity to reconnect some of the things that really matter to us and part of that is reconnecting with nature and how we can be part of helping make safe for our Taonga species the places where they live. And imagine a future where we all get to live alongside those species. I can't think of anything better and that's what I'm here for.
In 2020, I spoke with environmentalist and businessman Rob Fenwick, not long before he died in March that year. He was both a prime mover and an ardent champion of predator-free. It was a hugely ambitious idea. Um, it's still got a you know, long journey to go, but we have, I think, built the foundations for a movement that is going to carry on and ultimately succeed. The first real dividend that comes from this is simply the return of our amazing flora and fauna, and particularly our wondrous bird life, which people around the world recognise as being extraordinary and weird and fabulous and unique. So if we can put that on display as part of the offering of what New Zealand has for tourists and visitors, then that's terrific. But the second dividend is, is the joy that all that brings to us as Kiwis. Just in having the experience of, you know, this wildlife and this natural flora and fauna that we can celebrate in our lives. The third thing is that it's a demonstration of how New Zealand can rally around a cause and how this community of support can gather and deliver an outcome. Because the counterfactual is, is awful. You know, the counterfactual of this, of, of um, the predators winning this battle and destroying our native flora and fauna. We're left with a landscape where rats and stoats and magpies and miners are all that we have on our, in our backyards and in our farms and landscapes and national parks. It is almost too awful to contemplate. If you take predator-free literally, if you expect its mission statement to be fulfilled to the letter, you might be disappointed. For one thing, even if we do somehow get rid of every last rat, stoat and possum, Aotearoa will still be far from predator-free. We'll still have hedgehogs, cats, dogs and wild pigs. But most importantly, we'll still have mice. By biomass, mice are one of the most significant predators in New Zealand. They take a heavy toll of our native invertebrates, and rats and stoats are an important handbrake on their numbers. Ecologists are well aware of this, and they're working on it, but as of right now, nobody knows for sure what might happen to mouse numbers and their impacts if we take rats and stoats out of the system. From a technology perspective, predator-free becomes more possible with each passing week. But as we start to get what we wish for, it'll force other choices upon us, and some of them are going to be tough. If we're going to make millions more birds, where are they all going to live? What are they going to eat? Good habitat is in short supply, so that suddenly the Billion Trees Initiative takes on a whole new significance. If we're going to bring more birds into our backyards, what are we going to do about pet cats? So, rather than taking it too literally, 
If you regard predatory instead as a metaphor for a nation pulling together to rescue its precious taonga, for reforging our relationship with nature, then predator-free is already starting to deliver. It may be that we won't get that last rat, but in trying, we'll have developed revolutionary new tools and techniques and ignited a national passion. We'll almost certainly eradicate possums, and we'll get rats and stoats down to very low numbers, and we'll know how to keep them there. And even that will do our wildlife a massive fortune-changing favour. Frame it that way, and predator-free can't miss. I'll let Rob Fenwick have the last word. The predator-free movement is, for me, a tremendous success and symbol of how communities can gather around a great idea. It is unquestionably the achievement that I am, am most proud of. We are going to win this. Thanks for joining me. This is the final episode of the four-part podcast series, Fight for the Wild, written and presented by me, Dave Hansford. Fight for the Wild is a Fisheye Films production. Series producer is Peter Young. Editing and sound design by Bledon Parry. Audio post by Chris Sinclair. Executive producers for RNZ are Alison Balance and Tim Watkin. And RNZ commissioning is Kay Almers and Tim Burnell. Fight for the Wild is made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. With support from the Biological Heritage National Science Challenge, Next Foundation, Predator Free 2050 Limited, and the New Zealand Regional Council's Biodiversity Forum. Fight for the Wild is a film and podcast series. Watch it on RNZ Freeview On Demand or find it on the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. Noho mai ra. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.